What do you think when you think Irish whiskey? What's up, guys? This is Chris, and you are listening to Whiskey Noobs. And the reason I ask what you think of when you think Irish whiskey is because in this episode, I talk a good bit about that with my guest. We talk about how a lot of people tend to think of Jameson and these very sweet, very light flavors that some Irish whiskeys can give you that to some people are honestly considered a little bit boring. My guest, Daryl McNally from Limavati Irish Whiskey, talks about how he doesn't like the boring flavors, and he wanted to redefine what people think thought of when they thought Irish whiskey. If you want to hear what he came up with and how it is different from other Irish whiskeys, well, you're just going to have to listen to this interview. So without further ado, I will cut to that interview with Daryl McNally from Limavati Irish Whiskey right now. Um, and I'll start you off with a really easy one. I ask pretty much all of my guests, how did you fall in love with whiskey? Where did it begin? It's it's quite amazing. that. So I, I always tell the story. Well, I I started whiskey 24, 24 years ago, 1998 at Bushmills. But I, I believe I'm 48 years old. So when I was born, literally born out of my mother, I came to the family Irish bar. So I was brought up in a, an Irish bar. So I can remember at a very, very young age, packing shelves and pouring pints of Guinness and knowing you know, the different liquids, the spirits, clear liquid, usually vodka, gin. Uh, then we had Scotch whiskeys and Irish whiskey. So, yeah. I suppose you got to learn it uh, at a very, very young age. So it was no surprise whatsoever that after university, I said to my, my mom and dad, hey, guess what? I've got a job at Bushmills. So, uh, and I started in Bushmills. This is interesting because my primary degree was in accountancy and corporate financial management. Although I did the sciences at, at, at grammar school, I was thinking of going to do medicine or something like that. So it always was sort of in the science arena. But at the last minute, I decided to do something like business, which accountancy and corporate financial management, because nobody really knows what they want to do at 18. So I thought this will give me another three or four years to sort of think, you know, what do I want to get into? And I just was lucky. I got a job at Bushmills looking after the procurement and purchasing from my primary degree. And then I just got bitten by the bug of how the process was made. I suppose it was that scientific mind that I had. Oh, how, how is this made? What way does it work? How do you convert the sugars? How, does converters, how, do, you, how do you convert sugars to alcohols? What, this, this, is, this is amazing. But I remember at 15 or 16, we did fermentation as part of our chemistry uh, you know, module. And I remember that just been fascinating. And it was interesting because I actually went back to my old school when I worked at Bushmills and taught them fermentation for that fifth year exam way back. So that was pretty cool. So yeah, bitten by the bug at a young age, being born in a bar. But then also once I went to Bushmills, I just was intrigued about how the process of making whiskey. And I suppose that was it. But when I started to become or train to be master distiller, there never was one day where you didn't want to go in because you were just fascinated to learn, learn, learn. And then it was sort of seven years of learning before you can be officially called a master distiller. And even like, even before I left Bushmills, before I left Dublin Liberties Distillery with a fully working distillery, you know, you're still learning every day. Every day is a new day. You know, so you're always learning little things, even, you know, haven't been in the trade or haven't been in the business for 24 years. Yeah, it's it's a whiskey in general is a culture yeah. that you could just learn about forever and I don't think you could ever learn all of it. I don't think anybody could. It's it's fascinating. And I think yeah. part of that is actually something you hinted at and that is that it is where the science, the chemistry and the art form meet. And I find that it, that it really brings people together from both those sides of the aisle and I think <clears throat> 
a lot of the people that I've met through the podcast and the social media channels, a lot of them have what you mentioned, where there's an interest in the science. And then so the, the science-based folks were interested in it because it's science-based. And I have a degree in engineering, so I'm very science-based. And um, we're interested in the science behind it. And then there's the added appeal that there's this art form, where if you're very scientific, you don't fully get it, and that kind of makes it attractive. And then you want to learn more about that side of it. And I think the flip-flop goes for, for the more artistic people that makes it interesting to them as well. Um, and I, I just I find that that really is, – is that what you would say your experience has been throughout your learning process yeah. at Bushmills? Yeah, absolutely. With you know Bushmills, it was always sort of triple distilled single malt. So that's why Limavati is very much – I'm a very much a malt purist. But like, you know, I, I have some fascinating conversations, you know, with the pot still, you know, mix of malted and unmalted barley with my friends down in Irish distillers. But also when I worked for Diageo, there was 26 or 27 malt distilleries, but 26 of all, all of them except one was in Scotland. So I got them to have the conversations with master distillers in Scotland who all worked for Diageo. So again, that was a triple distill versus double distill. Then you go to, you know, the American side of things, how that's done. You know, the, and then the you know the double distillation versus triple distillation, the mash bills. There's so many fascinating different factors that gives different taste profiles. And then there's the age-old question: How much does distillation bring to your whiskey versus maturation? You know, versus the blend and versus the casks versus the quality of the casks. And then there's that little bit that nobody mentions, which is the yeast. You know, what about the yeast? What about fermentation times? All that good stuff. So you you, you could never stop wondering of what if you did that a little bit less or a little bit more how would that affect that what if you put it into the still a bit more fiery you know what way would that come off what if you did your cuts a little bit different? so there's this fascinating world of of you know innovation even now you know in the age-old tradition of making whiskey which i just you know every day is a learning day yeah. yeah. So that actually brings up a great point that I was curious about. So um, between, you know, your experience at Bush Mills, you've been you've clearly been in the distillation game for quite a while. And f- especially for some of my listeners who deal a, a lot of my listeners deal with bourbon being that I'm just based in the US. And a lot of times I think it can be seen as how can you stand out as a single malt? Uh, given that it's all using the same grain. And you hinted at a lot of those knobs that you can turn. Um, how would you say, if you had to kind of summarize uh, the Limavati, the way that you stand out, um, and I, I think we'll get to the single barrel as well, which is another sure. important point. Um, sure. But some of those other factors you mentioned, how do they weigh into your your decisions when you're blending, or not blending, but formulating a, a new whiskey? Sure. Well, when I, when I worked at Bushmills, you know, Bushmills had blended whiskey, you know, mix of malted and unmalted barley, or not malted and green, green whiskey. So, um, you know, we had that in the in the sort of uh, introduction side, you know, or the, or the lower end of the markets. And then you had your 10-year-old malt, your 12-year-old malt, 16, 21. Uh, and that really tapped in a bit to the Scotch market, you know, where it was older malts and finish with a finish. But Limavari, I always sort of kept it up my sleeve that, I believed you nearly needed to engineer you know, a price point to start with. That, you know, what what would a consumer pay? You know, what what is the ideal price for you know the world to try and taste this? If this makes sense, and from that I said, there's no reason you you wouldn't put a three year old malt into a PX finish, but a four and a half to five year old malt, you know, it's long enough in bourbon cast to give a, a finish into something else. So with Limavati, the points of difference for me was I always use first full bourbon cast. So it's a hundred percent hit 
of you know fresh bourbon cash. I then sell them on to other distilleries because generally in Scotland and Ireland, you'll use a mix of first fill bourbon, second fill bourbon, third fill bourbon. Some, sometimes in Scotland, you use it a fourth or fifth time. So, you know, you have a mix of whiskey that's coming out of bourbon cash with a level and degree of concentration, if that makes sense, with the first fill, obviously more concentrated. So in Limavari, I wanted four and a half, five years of full bourbon concentration. To me, then that made it a, a, a like the same tasting age of, say, a seven or eight or nine year old with a mix of bourbon for a second, third fill. And then I flicked it into a PX for a finish. So therefore, you had a younger whiskey going into a PX finish, which was never really seen before. And then that gave that element of, you know, seven, eight, nine years in bourbon, but into PX, but maybe the total age is only five years old. So you were almost concentrating the taste profile, which in Limavari, when people taste it, you see them go, this has to be a 12-year-old. No, it's not a 12-year-old. It's what? A five-year-old? People go, this does not taste like a five-year-old because there's just too many flavors. It's too concentrated. But that's that's what I wanted to do, bring out the malt purist, concentrated with bourbon cast, finished at a very young age. There's very few malts out there finished in Pedro Jimenez at four and a half, five years old. So this is completely new. Uh, and Limavari has has, has uh, owned that, if you like, and has made that its own. And then, as you quite rightly said, we have the single barrel you know, aspect where we, we bottle off PX cask finish, you know, four to six months. We bottle that off individually. So you have slight differences between, you know, one cask and the next but not too much of a difference whereby people go, oh my God, that doesn't taste like the Limavari that I tasted three months ago, if that makes sense. It's it's close enough, but not it's not this close. It's sort of this close, but close enough. <laughs> right, right. Wow, that is actually very interesting. So I, I appreciate that detail with the finishing process because, so to break it down a little bit for some of the folks listening, um, especially sure. the newer folks. So w- what you're saying is um, that, a lot of times you'll have a whiskey that has been aged. They'll they'll age it in a bourbon barrel, but that doesn't mean, and I think a lot of people make this assumption, that doesn't mean you dump the bourbon out, you sell it, you put in whiskey. It could be you put in whiskey, you dump that whiskey out, you put in more, and you dump that out, and then you put in more. And so that's several a, cycles. That's a fascinating detail to to think about because yeah, what you're saying is you're saying we want first fill. The bourbon leaves it. We put our whiskey in it. We're going to get stronger flavors from that right off the rip. And then I'm going, it's still going to be younger because I got those strong flavors from that first fill. And then I can put it into the PX casks and do something a little bit different with having a younger whiskey in those casks. Correct. Correct. That is then, ab- absolutely. Go ahead. Yeah. And then in turn, you can, you know, you can price it with no limit sort of just below the 50 bucks mark. So it doesn't need to be. You know, 70, 80, 90 bucks because, you know, of the age and losses and all that good stuff. So it's 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 almost like creating an Irish whiskey on steroids, if, if that makes sense in some crazy way, giving it the best opportunity with the best casks, the freshest casks, and taking it from there. Yeah, that's pretty neat. I don't think... That's something that I think a lot of people can tend to overlook, um, especially the first use, second use uh, barrel. Um, and then on top of that... I don't think a lot of people realize how drastically age could affect the price point because you're storing this whiskey and not making any money off of it while it's sitting there. Um, so like you said, with picking that price point and saying, how do I, how do I sort of engineer, in, in, in an essence, this whiskey around that price point um, and bring that flavor, I think that's a creative approach to doing that um, by, by using those first fills 
and uh, doing the kind of double finish, the bourbon and then the PX. Um, that's, yeah, that's very intriguing. So um, one thing that I, I wanted to clarify, because I, I know that it is more common um, across the pond for sure, is with sourcing. It sounds like is, is all of your whiskey is distilled or some of it sourced, or how does that work? Yeah, well, when I, like I'm one of three master distillers in Ireland. Now there's a lot of distilleries that have been built recently. So um, I suppose that there's a lot of the new Irish whiskies that are out there are all sourced because even um, even brands that have their own distillery, it's taken them four, five, six years of production to get to use their own liquid. So, you know, when you say sourced in Ireland at the minute, almost all the liquid is sourced other than from, you know, three distilleries, if that makes sense, you know. So, uh, yeah, Limavati sourced, but um, I knew where to look and knew what sort of quality I was looking for. Um, believe it or not, I would have helped a lot of people, you know, during the, the, the process of getting their distilleries up and running and have a really good relationship with, with lots of operational people. So I knew where all the good liquid was, if that makes sense. So I was able to source exactly what I was looking for. Um, then if you can imagine, I pick up the PX, I deal directly with the cast company on the PX barrels. It's a company I've dealt with for 20, 22 years. So I know I'm getting the top quality cast there. So if you can imagine you are sourcing liquid, but you're taking it at a very early stage from the distillery and then you're nurturing it the whole way through. Uh, we are over here. It's very difficult to get planning permission. I've been looking for planning permission for a distillery for about six years. I'm very close now, touch wood, <laughs> that we, that we get some, some approvals very soon, uh, you know, so our, our, our game would be to have our own distillery, but again, we'll still have to source liquid for essentially to rebuild the distillery plus five years almost because the age of Limavati is roughly five years. So you will be sourcing liquid for the foreseeable future until such time that you have your distillery up and running. So that's something quite new in Ireland because we only had the three distilleries. We were, you know, obviously functioning distilleries and they were putting out their liquid and the renaissance of Irish whiskey in the last three, four, five years, there's been a lot of brands out there who have sourced their liquid and got sort of into the market sooner, then maybe started to build a distillery thereafter, but and have finished building their distillery now and are on the transition to their own liquid over a period of time. But Limavari, we are we we pick it up at an early age, put it like that, and we nurture it then right through on exactly what we want. So it's sourcing, but not full sourcing. Uh, full sourcing, I say some brands will just buy generic liquid and just put it into a bottle, whereas I'm taking liquid that I've sourced and taking a PX finish and making sure it's got that length of time. So honing all my skills as a master distiller to make Limavati what I wanted to be, you know, very much on paper. And then we took it through the, the process and yeah, we were very happy with, with the outcome. Yes. Yes. I should have clarified that that is what I was getting at is um, the, the barreling process, the aging process, you're doing all of that. Whereas um, in the States and I, I'm sure this happens everywhere, but uh, we've had some, issues with companies that were just bottling something and trying to pass it as they were the ones who've been making this for years. Um, and that's very different. The sourcing culture is, is much stronger with Irish whiskey and with Scotch whiskey. Um, that that's, you know, that's part of the process is understanding how to source your whiskey, not just buying anything in the throwing Right. Um, and that comes with the, I'm sure the experience of being a master distiller, uh, doesn't doesn't hinder you in any way from picking the right distillate to <laughs> to age. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So um I've mentioned before on on my show uh something about Irish whiskey speaking of of the culture behind Irish whiskey. 
that it seems to me, because I always really enjoyed the Irish whiskeys that I have tried, and it always seemed to me like it gets overlooked on occasion in the United States whiskey culture. And <clears throat> I think that's because some people just don't know what to expect. Um, they haven't, it's kind of a self-feeding problem where you don't know what to expect, so you don't try it and you don't find out. So uh, my question for you would be, if you had to elevator pitch Irish whiskey to somebody who's been more familiar with the bourbon and the scotch, uh, what would you say to them? Yeah, well, for, for years, I always thought that Irish whiskey was beginning to become very light, you know, very, very, how would you say, it doesn't stack up in cocktails. Um, it's, it's very light. It's, you know, it's always at the 40%. It's always you know, 80 proof. Um, it, it was quite generic. And, and like Jameson, you can't argue with Jameson. Jameson's like phenomenon, really, like 12 million cases. You can't argue with that. Um, Jameson almost became, um, and I'm sure my friends at Irish Distillers won't mind me saying it, almost like a category within the Irish whiskey category, you know, because it became you know, something that people, you know, would have had a shit, you know, drink. Jameson was like a household name and, and still, still does that. What I wanted to do was to bring back what I believe the old Irish whiskey should be, which was something which was huge in the U.S. in the early 1900s before, <clears throat> you know, the prohibition, before the Irish Civil War, before there was an embargo put an export of Irish whiskey into the U.S. And then Scotch sort of took over because, you know, there was no Irish whiskey coming in. So Irish sort of died a very, you know, died a death, if you like, in the early 1900s. In the early 1900s, uh, Irish whiskey was selling 14 million cases. We're only getting back to 14 million cases essentially in 2022. So we're only getting back to where we were way back then. So this is only the start of the journey, I believe. And with all the different taste in Irish whiskeys now, you know, different to Jameson. And again, I'm caveating, you can't argue with Jameson with 12 million cases. What I want to do is bring out uh, triple distilled Irish single malt. I wanted 100% malted barley. I wanted to do a finish. I wanted a single barrel. So all these you know, super premium ticks, if you like, and, and you know, giving Limavati its own style. Um, you know, taking the Limavati dates back to 1750. There was an article here that I found from 1815, and it said Limavati malt whiskey, and it said Jameson uh, whiskey. Jameson spelled with an I, actually, but it's still Jameson whiskey because Jameson formed in 1780, Limavati formed in 1750. So I wanted to keep that malt purism, if you like, which is much more, you know, uh, maybe not so much malt. I, American malts are slowly coming back, but you know the bourbons arise and so on. So, forth. so something more full-bodied, something that would make a Scotch drinker or a, an American whiskey drinker, bourbon rye, jump up and go, "Oh, this isn't Irish. This is too. This is too strong for Irish." And I think with Limavady, and I know you're tasting it there. You know, you're getting the maltiness. You're getting the ninety-two proof. You're getting this. You're getting the vanilla. You're getting the spiciness from the bourbon cast, and then you're getting this lovely PX dark summer fruit sort of flavor coming from it so it isn't doesn't taste like an irish and i love uh blind tasting with people and they start to go is that a japanese whiskey can't be an irish no can't be an irish and when you start to drill down well what does an irish mean to you if they said it's much lighter in taste the limavari i want to sort of flick that trend and make limavari what it was a way back then what it tasted like a way back then and to bring that sort of 100 percent malt back back to life again yeah, and I think um, a spoiler to the, the the tasting notes I'm going to give here in a bit is you've succeeded at that. I mean, this it does have the the body that I think that's a great way to put it to the bourbon drinker is this is not going to have the very mellow kind of just whiskey taste minus the punch. This has a little bit of that punch to it. 
Um, and I will, like I said, I, I wrote down a couple notes and I'll, I'll talk about that and I am drinking it uh, as we speak. Sure, so. sure. <laughs> so that that is a great way, I think, of putting that. Uh, and I think you bring up a good point about like Jameson and how much they put through and how that has distorted our way of thinking about Irish whiskey. Um, and I find that even with other Irish whiskey brands, you can, if you branch out, you can find that they don't all taste like Jameson. I mean, I'd, I'd say no whiskey tastes exactly the same, but, um, I think people expect that. And I think that's a great elevator pitch to those who do expect that is that's not always the case. Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but this L- Limavati is the first single barrel Irish whiskey. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So there was a few single casks would have been done back in the day. I remember at Bushmills, we'd have done, you know, we'd have done cask strength rum or bourbon or sherry, but it might only have been maybe five or six casks of each as a one off bottle. Um, I remember going to Germany and going to the US and I've been in a a few of the, the the big whiskey bars in the US and sort of were pulling down bottles. Do you remember this one? I go, yeah, I remember it really well. There was four casks of that and you're so lucky to have a bottle. Um, it actually was in a place I'll not mention it, but he brought out a bottle and we, we, we had a bit this much in and we finished it. It was just so refreshing to you know take you back to maybe 15 years ago where you were making this particular whiskey. Um, but no, it was only a very one-off. So with Limavari, I wanted and especially with Whistlepig and what, you know, how big they are with their single casts and, you know, that, that offer that they give to people as a one-off buying bespoke casts and cast picks and things like that. I believe that, you know, the consumer in the U.S. in particular love that sort of notion of something that's a one-off. It's bespoke. It comes from a particular cask. I also believe they like it at a, at a, at a higher strength. So we've done some Nimavati uh, founders cast, which we kept from the first bottling. We did them at, at full strength as well. So it was a cask strength. So they were coming off about 108 or 109 proof. You know, so we do sell them in some markets in the US you know, as a founder's cask, as a one-off. And it was amazing some of the tastings that you do that you know, between, say, the 92, which is the Limavati normal, versus 108 or 109. The amount of feedback that I got, oh, my God, this, this founder's cask at 109 still tastes no burn. You know, with Limavati, there's no burn going down into your stomach. It's just very refreshing. They said, we can't believe we've never tasted anything like this that's so hot, you know, at, at a higher strength. So I think we're doing we're doing something right, right there with, you know, with, with bringing what the U.S. consumer wants. And you know, let's face it, I want Limavati to be a success in the U.S. That's first and foremost. We're going into other markets, but the U.S. is, is where, where we want to, to be first and foremost. So we're in 30 states there now. So... Uh, We've had a, a very busy 15 months, so um, I'm, I'm glad that we, we got it all rolled out in those 30 states and now we, we can nurture it through on, on various other types of casts in the future. But we want to get Limavati as it is, very much you know the, the main SKU, if you want, and then use the single barrel thing for new expressions in the future uh, with some maybe weird and wonderful casts. You know, watch this space. Okay. Yeah, and so I actually have a question about that then. So with, with doing the, the single barrel style, um, I've always been curious about this. I've never had the chance to ask a master, master distiller about it. Sure. Um, so let's say you come across like a barrel. There's always the honey barrel that you find, and it's just it's wonderful. And I think that's actually what led to uh, single barrel bourbon initially was the idea. What if we just sold the honey barrel? Um, 
what what typically happens let's say you find a barrel that is just doesn't have the palate that you'd want it to have sure, or sure. Uh, it's just not measuring up what happens in that scenario typically to, to be honest you never find anything that's that's off if you like or, or substandard for one of a better word you always find something where you go mm, that maybe needs a little bit longer uh, you know within the px cast for example or you know you might set it aside and say oh you know let's leave that for something special for the future um but if you're dealing with the correct barrel supplier, i.e. the Pedro Jimenez uh, PX supplier in Jerez in southern Spain, that's a company who does everything right. They actually cooper the barrel from scratch. They make up the barrel. They season it for the two, two and a half years. You know, so if you're dealing with good uh, suppliers like that, I can sleep in my bed at night knowing that the quality of those casts are going to be very, very similar. Uh, and I found that to date that you know there's there is the odd cast that's oh this is this is perfect here, but I think the the difference between some of the casts being a little bit more of the spicy vanilla, which is more of the bourbon influence coming through, and a little bit of PX versus then those really sweet ones where the PX flavors has been really coming through. Maybe we left them a month longer than we should have. Maybe give a little bit of a, a nuance between one and the other. But I think that's half the fun of it. I think that's, you know, there's already been a buzz. Oh, my God, Cask 35 was amazing. 37 was great. 57 was amazing. But, oh, my God, I tasted 65 the other day, and it was just, you know, heaven. I think that's whiskey should be. It should be a bit of fun. It should be a bit of, you know, calling up your mates. Can you get me a couple of bottles of that Cask 47 that's only can be found in Florida? Yeah, sure. And that's already beginning to happen in, in, in some places, which I think that's half the fun of it. And then you have people, because the bottles are numbered, numbered, you have people coming and going, oh, I'd love to get bottle number one of that. Or could I, a certain new number from the bottles, if you like, because it's a large PX cast. So there's 846 bottles in every barrel, if that makes sense. So people are looking for special numbers as well and special cast numbers. So I just think it adds to the whole premiumness of Limavati. And, and, and like I always say, whiskey should be enjoyed. There should be a bit of a laugh, a bit of fun about it. I think that's what Limavati brings. Yeah, uh, I think you summarized that great. I couldn't agree more that um, that is the discovery of whiskey is the point. Uh, I've told this to family members on multiple occasions who have bought me bottles. and they, I, I, I don't know if I should buy you this one. What if you don't like it? I, that's the point. Maybe, maybe it's not my palate, but the exploration is what's so much fun. Yeah. That's what so many of us live for. And you see that growing with with the single barrels like you just mentioned. Oh, I would love to get this cask. Uh, you see that happening with other brands with batches. Oh, this batch is, is better than the last one. So uh, it adds a whole other level to the, well, have you tried this brand? You've tried this brand. Have you tried this cask? That's a whole, it, it's interesting to to learn and to experience and it, it keeps the the hunt enjoyable and i think as well if, if somebody's talking about that as well and they're talking about limavati and they're talking about all the different you know options you have then you know i always say if people are talking about your brand then that's good because people then get introduced to it and and i feel once you get a you know get a try of limavati it's almost sips and lips sort of thing that once you try whoa i like this where some people are sometimes reluctant to try something new some people, which you'll agree, you know, American consumers who maybe love bourbon are going to be very reluctant maybe to try Irish. So with Limavari, I'm trying to, let's just taste it and see how it goes. Um, I went to a, a rock and rye festival in the Mammoth Mountains there when, when I went over to the US in September. And it was very much a rye and bourbon, you know, American consumer. 
and the amount of people that come up and taste it in Nevada thinking, oh, is this a new bourbon, not knowing it was an Irish, because I sort of try and keep that a little bit of a secret sort of until the tail end. The amount of people would give them a value, my God, this is unbelievable. We love it. And scratching their heads and going, you've, you've converted me here. You've converted me. Like, And I'm going, listen, there's a time for bourbon. There's a time for rye. There's a time for Limavati Irish. You know? So uh, depending on what you need or what you want. Yes. Uh, regardless regardless of the brand, um, because I, I'm not just saying this because I have you on, on camera right now, but regardless of the brand, I cannot agree more that there's this almost stubbornness to stick with bourbon that I have experienced with my own friends and I've had them try something and they, they, there's a culture, especially with folks who don't know as much about whiskey that that we just kind of call things bourbon, almost like, uh, some people call all sodas Coke because of the brand of Coke. And I've had people say, well, what bourbon is that? And I said, well, you're drinking a scotch or you're drinking an Irish right now. And, um, I, have been a huge proponent. Uh, anybody listening right now would would know this as well if you've been listening for a while. Is I've been a huge huge proponent of try multiple different kinds. Mm-hmm. Too many people will try. They'll hear that barrel proof bourbon is like the best, and they're brand new to whiskey, and then it just fries their palate, and then they stop and they say, "Well, I must not like whiskey." And yeah, yeah. You've got to try it all. You've got to try it all. That's for sure. And I, I always I always say to people, you know, you, you sometimes drink with your peers or your colleagues drink or your work colleagues drink, and you're trying this whiskey, hoping that you'll like it, and you see people sort of grimacing as they taste it. And I always say, well, listen, if you had some food and you, as you were eating the food, and you went, would, would you go back to it? And go, no. I said, but there will be something there for you. I would say, like, it's not that you're some sort of person that doesn't like whiskey. Exactly what you say, you need to try other types of whiskey. And there's no right or wrong for your palate just try it then you will find something and that'll be your go-to whiskey for the rest of your life be different take a take a leap of faith just like Limavati. try something different and you'll love it absolutely yes (laughs) that is i always try to just put that forward so when you mentioned that i wanted to really drive that home for my listeners because i i love that you can't just be stuck on on the one type um, and yeah, that's, that's great. So speaking of which, speaking of the, the profile of Limavati, um, I did jot down a couple notes. I wanted to talk about it, give a quick review. Um, a lot of my listeners are used to listening to me review. So they know the type of notes that I say and, and what I'm thinking when I say those things. Uh, I think starting off, I will, what I normally would do when I have guests who are newer than me is I let them to say the notes and then I will follow up with what I think since I have a bit more experience. Since this is your whiskey, I think yeah. I'm going to, I'll give some of my thoughts and I'd like your opinion. Um, and as we mentioned, don't bother or don't uh, worry to disagree with me because everybody's palate is different. Um, so I am drinking some right now and I, this one is 46% alcohol by volume or 92 proof. Ironically enough, I didn't even realize that until you mentioned the proof because you're right that it doesn't have the gut burn to it. Very easy to sip, very oily on the palate, um, and it, it gives me really good... I was trying to nail some of it down because some of it, uh, it, it does have... It's a little bit more splashy than a, a different Irish, and so it, it took me some time to nail down. What I think really makes the splash the most on my palate. So you've got... The good sweetness that you would expect from something malty, um, the the honey type of, of sweetness for me, and then I think I get some splash, some little standout is a little bit of like an orangey citrus, and then 
herbal notes that I wouldn't normally expect that are almost, I don't know how to explain it, but, but some sort of an herbal note um, that I don't know if I have fully nailed down that really, to me, puts it a bit aside from other Irish whiskeys that I've had. Normally, I'll get just like the sweet honey and maybe like granola. Um, sure. So that's where I'm landing is um, to bring up some other ones that I guess would give me similar experiences to not just having that granola. I know, for example, like Redbreast 12 year gives me more of like a, a floral type um, sure. fruitiness. <laughs> and this is got that kind of a thing going on. It's got this herbal, um, maybe a little bit fruity, like I said, that citrus, uh, and a little bit more pop. So, so how did I do? What, what do you think? No, well, I think, I think as well as sometimes when I was saying about the age as well, you know, the age brings, you know, the younger age when you're talking to your Limavadis five years versus a 12 year old red breast, red breast is a, a mix of malted and unmalted barley. So the unmalted barley will bring you more sort of the grassy fruity, you know, flavors from, from that. But Limavadi, you're getting a hundred percent of the malt. So you're getting that real, you know, as you said, the granola, the maltiness, the oatmeal, you know, that sort of oaty sort of flavor from it, from the malt. But then you're getting hit with, you know, the first of all bourbon cast, which is that spicy vanilla, you know, almost on your tongue, almost like, I always say it's like somebody put a little bit of chili in your tongue, but in a nice way. Like, and then your second sip after you've sort of cleansed your palate, the spice starts to die down. You get more of the maltiness and more of that then PX coming through. The PX is, you know, the sweetest sherry that you can get. Uh, you know, so it really does do a job on whiskey, you know, when you put it in as a finish. But you need to be careful that you don't overdo it with the PX because a lot of people maybe leave PX finish for 12 months or 18 months and all of a sudden you've lost all of the bourbon flavors which I didn't want to do I wanted to get that nice mix of the spice the vanilla and I think that's what you get sort of in the tongue and then after you've cleansed you get that PX which brings in that dark summer fruits um, you know dark chocolate almost and bringing it in very 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 quickly and then you sort of start to dispel the spiciness as you go through it you still have 92 proof there so you have the 92 proof as well that's playing away in the background because you know it's not a 12 year old it's a five year old so you have the you know not saying that it's young at five year old but it's younger than a 12 year old so you get that pop that you're talking about whoa it's a five year old it's not a 12 year old but then it's sort of masked very quickly with that spicy vanilla and then the summer fruits coming through and then you have the 92 proof which you know, there's not a lot of whiskeys irish whiskeys out there at 92 proof you know so people aren't used to that either so that that's something that sort of hits them if you were to add a little bit of water to Limavati to take it down to, say, 40% 80 proof, you're going to get a lot more of those floral, fruity notes coming through that you'll get, say, in Redbreast. And, and by the way, uh, you know, comparing it to Redbreast, a compliment, because that's, you know, it's one of the Irish whiskies that I really do think is is phenomenal, you know. So, so and it's interesting because the casks that they use for Redbreast, you know, the finishing things come from the same supplier as, as I get my cask from Limavati, because I worked for Irish distillers back in the day, so... I would have very much sourced, you know, those sort of barrels. You know, and it, how would you say in whiskey, you never change things that aren't broken. So those suppliers in Hereth are phenomenal suppliers. You know, they're the best of the best. So for me to get my casks for Limavati from them, you know, it just again, it just shows Limavati is very super premium. We only want the best of the best, and, and it's a it's a nice keeping with Redbreast. You know, I, I would live with that all day long. I always say to people, Redbreast is the pot still version of Mavadi and vice versa. I went for the full malt 
you know, with a PX finish, red breast is very much, you know, mix of malted, non-malted barley, very much the Irish distiller's way, but a, a great, a great whiskey. And with Limavari, I wanted to make, you know, the malt purist and, you know, a younger liquid that has a PX finish, which, which you're describing. So all those flavour profiles have got a reason behind them. And you've had, you've had a lot of them, to be fair to you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And when you said dark chocolate, that's a good one that I missed. That is for sure there right for me it's it's a little bit towards the end as that that grainy and honey and um what did you mention the the spiciness from the oak i would almost call um i've called it in the past like a black pepper, pepper. yes yeah, we said it at the same time pepper. yeah yeah absolutely it's like you get that on the tongue a little bit and that dark chocolate's a great a great point that i missed i like that I remember years ago when I did some whiskey tastings, I would have put out dark chocolate, you know, for a little nibble. You know, people would have took a little bit of chocolate and I say, right, now you try the whiskey to see what I mean. Now you try a little bit of the dark chocolate and even leave, leave out little bits of chili so that you can actually taste the chili. You know, that is a lot of descriptors that people don't use. When I say spicy, it's almost like pepper, as you say, pepper in the tongue, but not in a not in a bad way. You know, it's just peppery, spicy, vanilla, all those flavors of bourbon, bourbon cast bring out. And then you have the PX just to come in at the end, almost like your dessert. You know, at the tail end, oh, dark chocolate. Sure, that's perfect. Works well with chili. Yep, and that's why I think it's such a balanced whiskey. Um, a whiskey that, you know, has so many flavors going through. A lot of people say it's very complex, but it's just because of the flavors from those two different cast types, which brings that out. And then the 92 proof at the back end just sort of throws that all into a bit of a whirlwind, if you like, and that's why you're getting all those flavors. Yeah, yeah. That all, I mean, all of that, follows for me i definitely think everything you described there it it definitely has that little bit of a punch that keeps it from definitely definitely keeps it from being boring is what i'm trying to say and the other point that you brought up that you know just from doing one tasting we wouldn't see but that makes it interesting is when you try a different barrel now you're going to have a slightly different experience and that's can be very helpful for folks who don't quite know what's the PX going to give it, what's the bourbon going to give it. By comparing two, you might see, oh, this one has more of those bourbon barrel notes. This one has more of those PX notes. Yeah, and it's interesting because uh, there's a colleague of mine, Blaine Adams, and Blaine is he works with Whistlepig Limavati. Works, you know, he's one of the educators for the, for the Whistlepig team and Limavati teams, uh, and he he's made it his life. Uh, to pick all the different bottles from different casks and, you know, really goes into it. And uh, m- maybe more than I do sometimes because I don't have time. I sort of have it wrote down and then travel, but he's come back. Oh, you have to try 35. You have to try 57. We were up in the Mammoth Mountains. We had six different types of casks and we put it out to the, you know, the people and make, uh, meet the maker. And people are going, oh my God, this is, you're so right. Because they were, it was very difficult to, difficult to convince people that one cask will be slightly different but if you take them through a tasting of five different casts at Limavati, people go, oh, my God. And then I always say, which one's your favorite? And you'll have those people who love the spicy peppery vanilla. You'll have those people who love the PX. They'll pick accordingly, and I'll get a show of hands. And it's amazing just how many varieties of whiskey tasters have different favorites across those five casts. So yeah, I enjoy the fun. That's part of the fun. That is, that's definitely the fun. Absolutely. So yeah, I to wrap up my thoughts on on the flavor profile, um, I would agree with what you said. I think you get that that little bit of black pepper. The sweetness to me is is like a honey, which like you said, from that maltiness, that that honey grainy sweetness. 
but it just it just doesn't stop there. You definitely get this fruitiness. I, I threw out I think like citrus, um, almost like orange to me, and then dark chocolate that you mentioned. And uh, with more of the PX, you said like the dark fruits, um, which I, I wouldn't say that I caught necessarily on this one, but that could just be my palate. That dark yeah. chocolate with that citrus. Uh, is is definitely what I'm picking up, and those those bourbon barrel notes um, for sure. Uh, and now I've I've converted quite a few people to uh, an old fashioned. Do you know the way the old fashions got that orange sort of citrus flavor? So in the US, um, we went to Vegas, and the nine fine Irishmen have put the Mavadi as their base for uh, an old fashioned in their in their bar, which is amazing. Uh, but it's amazing how much the orange citrus is pulled out of Limavati. So I, I had a little smile when you said that because that was one I purposely left out. But another one I get is butterscotch, you know, like Werther's, a little bit of that butterscotch, yes. coming as well, which, is, which is very interesting. So that was one I was leaving to the end to see if you got it. But have another little try there and I guarantee you get that Werther's original when, you know, it sort of dries out the butterscotch sort of feeling to it and almost the, the, the oiliness within your mouth as well that a Werther's original brings out. So that's another one that I would use from time to time. Yeah, I could I could see that as well. And, and the oiliness, as you mentioned, is absolutely there. And the I should add, I didn't really talk much about the finish, but the finish, you can still feel it there. Not in a, I have cotton balls in my mouth type of way, but in the, the oil coated my mouth, and now I can still taste it. Yeah. Yeah, so um, to wrap up, I do have a, a couple more questions that I just wanted to uh, run through here. So would you say, well, I, actually, one of the questions that I, I had planned, I think we already touched on. So I was going to ask, would you say most of the barrels you pick are similar or st- do some stand out? And I think we've covered, uh, which is what I wanted to get at, that you get a variety when you're trying different barrels uh, with, with a single barrel whiskey. Correct, Yeah. So then the last thing that I want to just touch on before we wrap up here is if people listen to this and they want to try your product, um, I, I know you mentioned 30 states for your distribution, but I don't want I don't want to ask you to necessarily rattle off all 30. But what does the current distribution look like? I know you mentioned you're working with Whistlepig on it. And um, how can people go about finding Limavati? Sure, yeah, yeah. Well, if you go onto the website, we, we installed an addition onto the website, I think it was maybe last weekend or two weekends ago, where you can find your store in the U.S., you know, so that's that's very good. So you can find your local store. It's in 30 states in the, the U.S. now, you know, and I would say the 30 states maybe makes up 85 percent of you know Irish whiskey drinkers or indeed whiskey drinkers, perhaps maybe for want of a better word. So I think the first protocol would go on to the Limavati Irish whiskey website. There's a part in it. We can find your local store, you know, and if that feels if it's not launched in your state, um, there's you can go to Caskers as well. You can deliver. Uh, but as I say, uh, if you ever have any problems, find it by all means, please just send, leave a little message on the, the website and we'll be back to you ASAP because we would hate for people not to get a chance to try it. Great. Yeah, I think that's super helpful. The, you know, God bless the Internet that we can just look it up. We can put in our zip code and we can know where we can find it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And as I say, uh, Limavati as well, some things we didn't touch on Limavati. Um, you know, dates back to 1750. So it's not a new kid in the block. It's, it's you know, it's essentially me bringing the whiskey back to life. It's where I'm born and bred. I'm sitting in the Mavadi here as I talk to you. Uh, it's Irish for leap of the dog. So it's a story of an Irish wolfhound that jumped the river row to warn its master, but an enemy ambush and save the town. And then the town was named after it. 
But the reason Limit Valley tugged in my heartstrings so much, why you know I went on a crusade, if you like, of of building distilleries, but couldn't really settle until I, I got Limit Valley launched, is because my family owned it in 1880. So I have a real family link. My brother's a distiller. He worked in Bushmills as well. There's only the two of us. So I think there was sort of the DNA of making whiskey was running through your veins for many, many years, sort of handed down generation after generation. So I was almost getting haunted at night by my relatives, bring back Limavati, bring it back to life. So yeah, Limavati was was very much tugging at the heartstrings. And then to have Whistlepig as a you know as a partner to help me and you know, help with distribution, et cetera, you know, that's a dream partner to have. So uh, we we think the same and I think our mantra is like whiskey's about having fun, which we touched touched on. You know, once you stop having fun, what's the point? So, you know, I just you know that you can bring out the passion within the taste of the whiskey, and there'll be lots more of other iterations hopefully coming next year and the year after, which I would be would be uh, love to come back on again and take you through some of the R and D and some of the projects we have coming through. But it'll be very much single barrel at heart, and all those sort of weird and wonderful tastes that we want, and more bold tastes that we want from Limavati moving forward. So watch this space. For sure. And the more I learn, the more I'm interested. Um, this this hour has flown by. So I, I appreciate you taking the time to sit down with me. Uh, it has been an absolute pleasure. No, you're welcome. You're welcome. Thank you very much for inviting me on. Thank you for listening to this episode of Whiskey Noobs. If you like the show, please make sure to leave a five-star rating or review to help grow the show and get the word out. You can also find more Whiskey Noobs content on Instagram at Whiskey underscore Noobs and on TikTok at Whiskey Noobs Podcast. If you want to drink right along with me, make sure to join the email list by sending an email to WhiskeyNoobsPodcast at gmail.com with a subject line saying email list. You will receive monthly emails with a list of the whiskeys that will be featured throughout the month so that you can buy them ahead of time and drink right along with the show. Once again, thanks for listening to this episode. The Whiskey Noobs podcast does not support underage or otherwise irresponsible consumption of alcohol.